blame him for that. I was you the can one blaming him for that. Austin Matthews, very good two-way forward. Nobody's saying Carson Wentz is the go. Oh, your team sucks, Parker. Pick one. And before Miami fan over here starts talking, blasphemous. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. What does that tell you? He's terrible. I'm not out here saying Tom Brady's bad. Yeah, you are. Listen, Gary. <laughs> I'm saying pick it. What's going on, everyone? Thank you for listening to Daft Picks. As always, today I'm joined by our producer Parker. Hello. And today we have a very special guest. We have Mike joining us. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And today we're going to do something a lot of shows have been doing lately. With everything that's going on right now in the world, we're going to be talking about some of the issues that are going on both in sports and real life. You know, to get into it, like obviously, we touched on it last week. Evander Kane went on first take to discuss some of the issues he's faced as a, you know, a, a black hockey player and how he feels things can change more voices. We obviously saw a lot of players come out in support of it this week. So why don't we start there? Mark, you want to give us your thoughts on that? I actually didn't watch Evander Kane on first take. What did he say? In essence, he was talking um, about how like more players need to come out other than just the players that are being affected by it. It was essentially the, um, the old adage like, you know, nothing's going to change until the people who aren't affected are mad. He called on players like Tom Brady, Sidney Crosby, players who have a voice in the game and have real stature, who even though they aren't directly affected by it, to speak out about it. And obviously, like I said, it, it garnered some attention because we saw Taves and Crosby, McDavid, etc. Players who aren't directly affected by racism in the game come out and speak against it. Yeah, I think a lot of what he's saying is valid. I mean, first off, the NHL is a very white league. I think it's like 90% or something like that. It's like an absurd number. I'm not sure if we have any minority coaches and definitely not any minority owners that I know of, except for maybe the Pegulas uh, in Buffalo. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know there's definitely some assistant coaches. You know, there's obviously a few, uh, like, you know, there's some women assistant coaches now, but not anything, no NHL head coaches, no general managers. I found an article on Detroit's NPR station, and it says, this was written January 17th, 2020, that there's only 43 players of color in the NHL, which isn't a lot for uh, rosters that have, like, 30 people on them. <laughs> yeah, you're not right. Yeah, I think what what you're saying is valid, because, like, a lot of players, like, like P.K. Subban, for instance, has seen a lot of racism come his way. Yeah, for, yeah sure. for sure. I know um he you know he made what did he donate off was he five hundred thousand dollars that he donated to um I think it was either George Floyd I think it was George Floyd's family right he donated that to I college one I believe so yeah it was it was either to die or to his funeral I know he donated something to him yeah and then the NHL matched it, it was nice <laughs> you do have to give the NHL a little bit of credit though because of all the leagues they seem to be the most at least eyes on like. Right now, the NFL is toned off, which we knew that. But the MLB, they're so preoccupied with these owners' meetings that are going on that they don't even have a statement, really. Of course, the NBA is at the forefront, which they've, they've always been pretty proactive on it, too. But the NHL, surprisingly, has done, at least PR-wise, a decent job. I mean, you kind of come to expect come that, to though. I mean, I guess they're all lawyers. They should be good at that. Now, I guess the other thing is, too, have you read any of the player statements? Or actually, either, have either of you read any of the player statements? Anything that, like, stuck out to you guys? Well, I wanted to touch quickly on something you were going back about, like, 
I can't remember the first player's name uh, that you were talking about from the NHL. Oh, uh, Evander Kane? Yeah. Okay. So I think the, that's really important because generally I think the problem is whenever it comes to these issues in like sports, how sports plays a role is people aren't acknowledging, like we have a big portion of the population who aren't acknowledging that there is a problem within these structures. So until they hear it, it's easy to be like, from the point of view, it's easy to see the person advocating who's affected by it and be like, okay, there's a problem, but like, I don't know how this is like, it might not be that big of a problem. But if you see someone like outside that, like specific, like outside the demographic of which people are being affected, start acknowledging it too. I think it adds more credit, like it adds more credence to someone who might be on the opposition of a sort of movement, for example. So if you get those like figures who aren't necessarily like people in the African-American community, like acknowledging the problem, then it's like, it just forces people, more people to confront the issue because especially in a league like the NHL, where there's not many voices to like talk on the issue. It just really brings it more to the forefront whenever you hear these like sorts of things being raised. Yeah, certainly. I, that's, that's obviously a great point. Like, I, I think that's honestly what he was trying to achieve was, you know, like, like you said, it, it's easier to say, well, it's not a big deal if you're not directly affected. But if for those who are directly affected, like you said, Evander Kane, that's what he's trying to bring to the forefront was, hey, we need support from people who aren't directly affected because if you're not mad, then it's not going to matter, you know? And I think that's part of, yeah, I think that disconnect is one of the most major, like, issues of the, pro- like, the acknowledgement of, like, there's so many things that, like, even if, like, someone doesn't necessarily agree with something, it, the acknowledgement of the problem will go, like, such a long way into that. And I think, like, the not being forced to acknowledge that there is a problem is what, how sports, like, sports is something that's, like, universally, like, even though not everyone necessarily watches it for entertainment, you might watch it for, like, the commercials for a Super Bowl, or say, or you might watch it for, like, some like the stuff that like the ambiance people go to games for more than just the sport. And I think that being confronted by these like major figures is like a big part of that. Yeah, honestly, that's actually, I didn't actually think about that. You're right. Cause sports are more than, I mean, we've seen now more than ever, like how many people miss sports, people who wouldn't not even like usually watch sports that much. It's, it gives it like a way to, you know, it, it's a break from the everyday monotony and seeing big figures come into speak their mind and, and, and put their support behind it, that shows you that, like, hey, this cause is bigger than hockey or whatever sport we're talking about. So you're definitely right. Um, the NFL thing, too, like, for like example, uh, they, they, I think their route's, like, the most unique in this situation because they took an act, like, they've had, like, in the past year, like, our past two, however, like, since Caps kneeling, like, they've had yep. these issues where they've had, like, almost be in opposition to the thing because they want to take the political aspect out of the sport in general. So now you see, like, they're posting stuff, like, as a league with player statements and stuff. It almost seems like they're trapped. They have to do more recorrective measures and acknowledge their mistakes in the past as where other leagues are more, like, advocating for what is, like, happening and giving, like, blanket statements like everyone's giving blanket statements. But the NFL has to walk back a little bit before they can, like, start to acknowledge in comparison to other leagues. Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing the ones who, when Kaepernick came out and, you know, when he, when he knelt, how many people have to do some back-checking right now because, like you said, the NFL specifically, they can't just do a PR cover. They, they have no choice but to be like, hey, we were wrong. And rightfully so, they should have to go through that. And, and th- th- I think their original response you know, a couple of years ago was embarrassing, and now they're paying for it. But... Is it better for them to come around late than never? I guess that's the question. And, like, from 
this point, like, you're always going to want it like that, like, sort of, like, you always want that more acknowledgement. So, like, it's better to be on this side than, like, ignore it like they have in the past. But I think what's going to be more interesting is, like, how much they stick with this moving forward. Because they um said, like, they, they still, I think I might have saw something about they said they're not going to, like, penalize players for kneeling. But, like, how much they support in the future is, like, because now that they've rectified their mistake, let's see, like, the actions behind the mistake that they've acknowledged and how much that plays into how they go moving forward. Anyone can put out a PR statement. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Like, you're right. How much are they actually going to do now? Like, okay, they're not going to penalize the players, but that should have never been a thing in the first place. Like, what the, are they going to actually support them, though? Or is it just going to be more platitudes? Are they just going to be bystanders? And I think mm-hmm. the NFL has a really unique opportunity. I mean, you look at the makeup of the NFL rosters, there are so many different backgrounds and different colors. They have a really unique opportunity to take that, do PR spins. You, like, not even, it, just, it just makes good business sense to be on the right side of this. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested to see what they do. Parker, how about you? Do you have any thoughts on that? I have a rant for the NFL that I'm going to save later. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> So, so that's what you like to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, and even sort of transitioning uh, like Mike's thoughts into the NHL sphere, I remember it wasn't too long ago where they asked, who's it, uh, Tortorella, like what he would do if players, because he was, I can't remember, he had the players on his team, but he said like if anybody on his team knelt, he would sit them. I wonder how they're going to walk that back because again, that's not a great thing and I think that's kind of getting ignored. I think something it's important to like, think about here how many of like while it's great that these like things are being said and these things are being acknowledged you wonder how much the ideology plays with it compared to like the doing it to not appear like they do hold like some sort of like racial belief behind like what like you like um for example i'm not sure how much people are actually going with the beliefs of the statement i know uh you guys want to bring the breeze thing up into it later but just like with these, like, statements of people, like, might have to change their stance on how much change how to conduct it, you also think about how much actually believe this and are, but how many are doing it just to, like, save face in comparison. Exactly, and I think that's the problem is there are players who, on record, have um, not so quietly had issues in the past. Like, I think of one that comes to mind is Tony D'Angelo, who I believe in junior was caught several times using racial slurs and derogatory terms. And he's putting out a PR statement, but here he is less than a week later saying he's going to start a a podcast where they're not going to be politically correct. Like, I feel he's a big example, just one, but a big example Mm -hmm. of how much of it is, like you said, ideology and how much of it is it saving face to seem like you're not, uh, not a racist. And I'd argue that even like, this might be like a unpopular take that even if they are in like, I would rather have someone who's just trying to save face still speak the message than them not say anything at all because we talked about how sports is such like a big influence. So like there's they're going to be reaching people who even though they might like even though they might not agree with the message themselves, they're going to have tangible effects on people who look up to them. So while I may like you may like want people to more just like get the problem and stuff like that, at least addressing it into some capacity, they're going to have an effect on some people below them that are going to be, like, looking up to them as, like, role models? Yeah, no, for sure. I think, uh, I don't think that's an unpopular take at all. I think it's a very spot-on take because, like we said, if there's people who 
you know, typically people who follow people who have the same ideology. If you're somebody who in the past has held those viewpoints that all oh, kneeling isn't good, that you didn't see the problem, then, or, or whatever, what have you, even if it's more extreme than that, if you're seeing people who you believe have the same ideology come out, like let's say Tony D'Angelo's followers, and they see he's putting out PR statements and trying to at least save face, you're right, they're going to have like a change of mentality. Because what is PR for every player? It's nothing more than just for the fans. It's lip service. So I think you're right. It's better to have somebody, even if they aren't doing it for the right reasons, at least coming out and supporting it because more voices are important. Uh, Parker, to sort of lead you into your uh, rant, so I wanted to talk about the Drew Brees issue today, too. First of all, do you guys have any thoughts on the Drew Brees stuff that's been going on? Parker, you want to take that one first? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, Drew Brees' original response was honestly pretty pathetic. I thought that we already knew that kneeling had nothing to do with disrespecting the flag. I mean, in fact, kneeling in many instances is considered a sign of respect but breeze saying that just kind of showed that him as well as many other people have still misconstrued what the message of the protesting was about in the first place and that's not a good look from a player who's one of the faces of the nfl and his retraction statement only came after getting blasted by Malcolm Jenkins, like um, would, would he have done it if he didn't receive the backlash he did? I'm gonna keep my response to Drew Brees fairly short because I kind of wanted to hear you guys talk about this. But I obviously did not think the first statement was correct. It was tone deaf. It was dumb. It was clear that he just didn't get the picture, and you know he's never had to face that. I can't imagine. You know he's a just a white guy. He's a quarterback. It seems like. He's a millionaire. What what has he really had to face? I mean, I don't know his personal stuff, but on the surface, it doesn't seem like he would have to face very much of that. He doesn't get it, and it was clear. And that PR statement he released was very generic. It didn't seem like it was written from the heart. It seemed like it was written from an agent or a team. I just don't get it. And Drew Brees has always been, at least on the surface, at the front of issues. I mean, you know, he's one of the people who's always on Ellen, you know, he's always seemed like a good guy, and this was a really bad way to look in the eyes of the fans. Going off of that, I think that, like, miss, like we keep, like, talking about how, like, like, we're talking about how sports plays a role in these issues, and I think that missing, like, missing the points is not a reason why this, like, these issues come to the forefront. So, Drew Brees being so out, like, this has been since the first, the start of it, like since the start of the Kaepernick kneeling, like people have tried to take it places where it not necessarily doesn't go. And that's like muddied the waters. Cause now instead of talking about the issue that the kneeling was originally about, now we're talking about issues and bring up issues of where people are going back and forth of like, is it respectful? Like it's not respectful. It's is res- like, it's not about it not being respectful. So now like him bring this in, it muddies the waters. Like, where he is talking about now, like the focus of the conversation is different. Now we're not talking about police brutality. Now we're not talking about systemic racism. Now we're talking about is it respectful or not to kneel for the flag. And that like, that's what draws, that's what is frustrating about it. Like, especially like it's frustrating because it's diverting the attention of the protest to something else. And Drew Brees have like you, like you mentioned, like he has been an active voice before. So the, like, I'm not sure, like, I know where this is coming from, from, like, 
the point of like that probably is a hell belief but i don't know like how he thought in his mind that that would have been like a statement that would have won him like a statement that while it is his opinion how this statement is like reflective of any of the things that he's like done in the past and how he can hold this belief especially having these active voices on his team like he's been in being in the nfl you're around these active voices like malcolm jenkins like you said or like how they said michael thomas talked to him so the fact that he put this statement out without it feels like it's very like he didn't think before he said it and because he didn't now it's going somewhere where isn't shouldn't be going right those though i don't know if i could have said it better honestly that's a great way to put it it's like he shouldn't have had those beliefs in the first place of course like you said you're entitled to your belief but like it's our job to change opinions and it just seems like he's taking this to a place it shouldn't be at and drew Brees has spent his the majority of his career in a predominantly you know non-white area like like new orleans is so it's such a blending pot a melting pot blending area whatever you want to call it like it's a very like cultural area and he should definitely unless he's blind to it see what is happening around him you know and like you said he has players around him who try to talk to him like michael thomas who i'm assuming got to him or at very least told him hey this is like, like what was he looking to achieve with that statement like, to go on the air and say that. What was he trying to do? He wasn't trying to move the conversation along. He wasn't trying to help. He was trying to make sure that, hey, just because people in my family fought for the flag, like, that doesn't matter. It was never about disrespecting the flag. And that just shows how little he understood it. It's hard because, like, he did, like, like, again, like, it's so hard, like, us not knowing how much, like, he's, like, I think that apology was a little bit, like lukewarm, like not like fully in it, and like he did make the comments on Twitter against like Trump how he stands with it. So like you can only hope that like maybe he's seen it. And I think you brought up a good point about how like they like he isn't doing anything to push the conversation along. Like we were talking about this way back when, so we're bringing it back in now, especially when he didn't like address any of the stuff that's going on right now. It kind of just seemed like hey, out of left field. It's almost like if you're in a relationship and then you bring up a fight from like way, way in the past, like, why are you bringing that up right now? I thought we like, we already had this conversation before, like when there's like something new problem. That's a really interesting opinion. I actually want to stick on that for a second. That's a really good point. Why is he bringing it up right now? Because nobody is talking about like, okay, people are referencing Kaepernick. Yes. For the right reasons, because look what the NFL did then to now, but nobody's talking about disrespecting the flag. I think that narrative is, for the most part, being dispelled, I hope. Why is he still defending that, and why is he trying to bring that up now? It's almost like he has some leftover animosity that he didn't say back then. You make a really good point about that. Yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. That's a really good metaphor for it. So, Parker, this is a good time. I think we should hear your rant on the NFL. It drives me nuts how little diversity there is like in the front office with coaches and with ownership, considering the league is like, 70% non-white. There's only four minority coaches right now and three black ones, Mike Tomlin, Anthony Lynn, Brian Flores. And there's only two black GMs and we've never seen a black GM rehired. And there isn't that much representation for African-Americans and people of color in the NFL. 
and it's systemic and it's been there since the NFL was founded. If it wasn't, we wouldn't need the Rooney rule in the first place. Like, for example, one thing that drives me nuts is with quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the most important position on the field, and it's mostly white. Whenever we see a super talented non-white quarterback, there's always coded language about it. Like, for example, Baker Mayfield, he's seen as cocky. He's seen as having a chip on his shoulder. But if you were to have, like, say, a black quarterback act like the way he does, people would call him, um, like, a thug or a goon or, like, a, I don't know, like, oh, he needs well, to uh, he needs to be humble, stuff like that. Well, look at, I mean, not to jump in, but just, like, look at Jalen Hurts. They said character issues. That was the, that's my... That's my personal pet yep, the there's the language. Thing. Character yep. issues. And if you notice with quarterback evaluations for black quarterbacks, they always talk about their athletic abilities, but not their throwing accuracy. Like Bill Polian, if you remember, he said that Lamar Jackson had incredible open field running, but he was like, he should move the wide receiver. When was the last mm-hmm. time a white quarterback who had the kind of career that Lamar Jackson did, advised to switch to wide receiver. Who was the last one? Tim Tebow? And with the lack of diversity with coaches, I have two examples. Um, The one was 2018 Black Friday, when seven head coaches were fired and five of them were black. Granted, you can make a case for any of them being fired. First one being Marvin Lewis, because he never won a playoff game with the Bengals. But at the same time, he also resurrected that franchise from being a dumpster fire. Vance Joseph wasn't too good, and Hugh Jackson probably had the go. But Steve Wilkes getting fired after one year is just kind of inexcusable. Sure, they went 3-13, and but... Oh, who, who was the coach that the Jaguars had before Doug Marone? Do you remember? Um, was it the Giants former guy? He was the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Are you asking the wrong person? Anyways, that guy had like an identical record to Steve Wilkes for four straight years before he got fired. All those coaches like had like maybe two years. Like Vance Joseph got fired after two years. Hugh Jackson after two years. Steve Wilkes one year. If you struggle like in your first year or two, like you don't really get a chance to put your mark on your franchise and actually turn around. While with white coaches, they get like three or four years like Adam Gase. Doug Marone, Joe Philbin got four years. He was awful. I'll never forget when the Bucks fired Lovey Smith in 2016 in his first year with Jameis Winston. And they fired him because they were scared they were going to lose their offensive coordinator, Dirk Cutter, who then got fired in three years. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? There's only been 18 total black coaches in the NFL in its entire 100-year history. There's 32 of those positions available. And in the whole hundred years of it, there's only been 18. And the other question is how many of those are recent too? Because I can't imagine many of those came earlier. Yeah, a lot of those are really from like since 2000. Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy, obviously. Mike Tomlin, obviously. Marvin Lewis. Jim Caldwell. I thought Jim Caldwell was a pretty good coach with the Lions, honestly. Todd Bowles, right? Todd Bowles. Herman Edwards. There were a couple of bad ones too, but it's just... The problem with the NFL is that there's a lot of nepotism um, yeah, all true. over, like with owners and like, you know, owners' kids or like the GM's like brother-in-law or it prevents a truly fair shake for people of color because they themselves, they can't even benefit from this nepotism because there's so few of them in it anyways. 
I think you bring up a good point too is how many of these people, like once they're getting head coaches, they're getting fired, how many of these people are getting the opportunity to get the head coach job? If you're saying only like you brought up how only 18, how many coaches are positional coaches at the college level are getting a chance to go positional coaches at the NFL level? How many positional coaches at the NFL level are getting these head coaching opportunities? So before we're even getting to the point where they're getting these short-term, like getting fired after very short like chances to make these teams all right, how many are getting the chance to be head coaches in the first place? And their ceiling might not be, their ceiling might be at a positional coach level wherever. Yeah, like we can see that with like Mike Shula, for instance. He's the son of Don Shula. The only reason he's in the NFL is because of, you know, being the kid of arguably the greatest coach of all time, besides Bill Belichick. Kyle Shanahan got into the league because of his father, Mike. The Steelers, they have Dan Rooney Jr., Dan Dan Colbert's the son of their GM, Colbert, uh, Kevin Colbert. Kevin Colbert. Stephen Colbert is the late night host. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that kind of made me mad this week was the Vic Fangio comment that there's no racism in the NFL. Bro. That's because Read the room. That's like the classic example of just because you don't experience it doesn't exist. Right. Uh, I'm not familiar with his con- – can you guys like uh, give me like a little quick – Parker, do you know like a little bit more I, – I just know like – he basically – I know he said like he, basically there's no racism in the NFL, but like what yeah, he, part do he, you want to break it down? Oh, he said – oh, what Oh, what, what did he say? The thing is with Vic Fangio is that his comments came from the sense of, you know, he's been coaching in the league for 30 years – and he didn't necessarily benefit from the nepotism as much as some other white coaches. So his comments kind of came from like a person like scratching and clawing. But it's still like what he said was still kind of obviously made no sense. I uh, tried to look it up, but I, I saw he's trying to at least. Um, but... His quote is, I think our problems in the NFL along those lines are minimal. We're a league of meritocracy. <laughs> We're a league of meritocracy. You earn what you get. You get what you earn. I don't see racism at all in the NFL. I don't see discrimination in the NFL. We all live together, joined as one for one common goal, and we all intermingle and mix tremendously. If society reflected an NFL team, we'd all be great. Yikes. That's that, a yikes. That's not uh, – uh, oh, geez. Oh, boy. The thing is, like, not even – like, ignorance itself is in a one – like, a problem that, like, you can – but, like, making assertions – that, like this is like active ignorance in like a sense where you're like trying to like push forward like not being aware of stuff that like everyone else brings issues of like he's not like he's this is active ignorance and I think that's what makes it sound like worse. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But Park, like I want to bring up what you said or talked about earlier, Parker, with the quarterback the analysis because you brought something interesting. But uh, whenever how they talk about switching positions, whenever you hear people talk about white quarterbacks or black quarterbacks, they're always being compared to a quarterback of the same race. And I think that that's like yes. another thing. Like you're never going to hear like, let's say Tua be compared. Like I'm like, we're going to like hypothetically say Tua has like the same skill set as like a, like a Joe Montana. Like let's pretend that was a kid, but you would never hear that comparison. It would be like, he's the same as like Vince Young coming out of like, you would never hear like a black quarterback being compared to a white quarterback or like when they talk about prototypes. Yeah, like Deshaun Watson, for instance, he's really like a pocket passer, strong arm quarterback, and people say he's a dual threat when he doesn't. Sure, he might be elusive, but a lot of young quarterbacks are elusive and have that elusive ability. 
That doesn't make him a dual threat. Like Alex Smith was elusive, but I don't think anyone would ever call him a dual threat quarterback. And no one's going to say like Alex Smith is like someone like (laughs) scrambling. Like no one, you would never, like no one's going to compare Alex Smith to like a black quarterback. You're never going to say like he shows flashes of, not like he'd be in the same league as Michael Vick, but like no one would ever like bring that conversation up. Like you. Yeah. Like just because you could scramble doesn't mean you have two way ability. Like whenever there's a black quarterback, they're always like, "Oh, he's a dual threat." When no, he's not. It's like you always hear that with like uh, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and we're gonna be hearing that with Tua as well. Even though Tua's not a two-way player, he's a field general who dink and dunks down the field. If I may pull it back for a second to talking about even just like players getting drafted, like how many times we've seen a minority player fall in the draft and then a white player who is probably not better than them get taken. I mean, a great example of that, although the Bears are dumb, was Mitch Trubisky going over Pat Mahomes. Did anybody <laughs> at the time think that was a bad move? Yeah, a lot of people, but nobody nobody acknowledged it for the right reasons. We know why Mitch Trubisky respect ahead of him. We know that at least played a factor. Well, it wasn't just, just how it's viewed. It wasn't just him picked over Pat Mahomes. It was him picked over Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Right. Well, yeah, actually, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. But like, yeah, you look at that, like, and of course, I'm not going to saying the only reason Trubisky was picked was because he's white. That wouldn't be fair either. But I think it's fair to say that that has to play a role because like you said earlier, there are, what is the predominantly white position? Yeah. There's a lot of implicit bias when it comes to general managers evaluating quarterbacks. They have to be tall, strong arm. They have to be able to read the whole field. And they have to be a pocket passer. And generally, right. a lot of those quarterbacks are white. They don't want to see, like, off-field issues or character issues or anything that could be construed as anything like that. Whenever we talk about, like, the character issue thing, whenever you brought, how you brought, sorry to keep bringing it back, like, to stuff, but you said made some good points. Like, that sort of, like, attitude. I've heard a little bit about Baker Mayfield, like, being, like, maybe he's not a great leader and blah, 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 but, like, the man's literally like grabbing his crotch during the one game, like going to that or sideline. And he's the one that's like more of the chip on the shoulder guy. Like there's just like so many like distinct moments. I remember like in his college career leading up to that draft. Like if you saw Lamar Jackson act like that, can you imagine the media uproar that would happen? And Lamar Jackson, for the most part, from what I've seen in interviews is that he's a very humble down the earth player. Can you imagine if he acted like Baker Mayfield, what people would be saying? Even bringing back to, like, the most early example I can remember since I've been, like, actively, like, a football fa- like fan where it just jumped out to me was, can you imagine if, like, we take Baker Mayfield's actions and compare it to Richard Sherman, who got, like, berated whenever, during an NFC championship game called Thug, all that sort of deal whenever he gave that interview. But, like, if you imagine if he took it to that level... Like, that wasn't even that. That was, like, it was wild, and he was going crazy, but I would never, like, what indicates thug besides that person's skin color? Like, someone, like, screaming, like, that's what happens whenever you put me against a start. Like, it was great. Like, don't get me wrong. Man was going wild, but there's nothing that indicates, like, thuggish behavior besides, like, the fact that that's just, like, a black guy, like, going, like, crazy during an interview. Yeah, that also kind of reminds me of, like, this is kind of off topic, but the FIFA Women's World Cup, 
the U.S. team celebrations, like Alex Morgan, like drinking from like a teacup or like ripping <laughs> her shirt off or something. People are like, they can't act like that. They need to be humble. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, dude, literally every FIFA team ever on the planet I'm, has done I'm that. I'm going to get into that. And has, gotten, into has done way worse than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about soccer here, but continue. Go off, dude. I it's think- all yours. Oh, okay. All right. So the thing that aggravates me most now, I know uh, I know Parker, you're not a big soccer fan. Mike, do you watch soccer at all? No, nah, FIFA, the video game is my main like go to. Oh. I'm not super. <laughs> okay, I got you. Okay. Um. Well, okay. Here's the thing that I have a problem with, and like Parker alluded to it, the women's World Cup team, they got so much disrespect. They still are. They're not getting paid what they should. That's a different conversation. But they got so much disrespect for what they were doing. Meanwhile, players in every single league do stunts when they do celebrations. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does a backflip when he scores goals. Like, I, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to hear it. And the other thing is, systemically, there might not be a, a league with more racism issues than Serie A. Uh, I believe that's what it is for the Italian league. The Italian league, every single season, over and over and over again, has issues with players. I know, um, I believe it was Romelu Lukaku and Mario Balotelli, both had things thrown at them. People were making, I'm not going to, uh, you, you can put together two and two, but they were making sounds at them. There were signs, there were bananas being thrown, and it's like, it's just the worst. And there's no bigger offender of it than soccer. And it's, it's been a problem for a while, and it's going to continue to be. But I'm really hoping, if you haven't seen the Bundesliga, a lot of players came out in support of George Floyd and uh, BLM and, and trying to change the narrative. So I'm hoping that some of that hits soccer and they start to get rid of their racism problem too, because it's just as bad over there. Like, I may be wrong, so someone, like, correct me as like, soon as I say something wrong. But I feel like that is, like, that one has so much more potential for, like, like, you're bringing so many, like, you talk about the Italian League, but, like, even internationally, I've heard, like, here and there stories of racism. And it's, like, so much harder to not, like, whenever that system systemically broken, when you're bringing all these, like, different cultures that's such a unique problem of how to address that sort of issue whenever like all these like here we have we have like a systemic issue or something like that we can go to a centralized like government to help try and like rectify some of the issues within that and that could translate to sports and that can translate to society overall but we have all these different like nations and all these different cultures coming together that's like such a unique problem that like that be so interesting to try and figure out how they tackle it within that like within soccer and how like that one gets addressed you're obviously right it, it is going to be an interesting thing to see how they approach it and also like you alluded to there's so many leagues under the fifa umbrella and under the you know the world cup banner that it's hard to address them all at once like the nfl for example it's localized in america you can say okay the u.s government needs to step in here and, and, and hold these owners accountable, or at least the Trades Commission needs to make it a point where if teams are going to have racism in them, have issues with discrimination, they get affected by it. But it's so hard to do that over how many countries, how many continents. So FIFA is going to have to really do something here because it's a problem. And I think that one might come from like more of like a bottom-up perspective. Normally, we like to see like this kind of racism issue happen. Because, like, individuals advocating against racism is something that's, like, like we, like, widely acknowledge it. And, like, but, like, whenever it comes to, like, that fixing of these problems, it's more of a top-down. But, like, in this case, it feels like it always has to be from a bottom-up perspective where if the teams and players can, like, 
start to address these issues, then maybe that can translate into some like more like culturally like accepting views through these countries and like through like the FIFA organization and through the fans. Like I think you have to see it on the teams first in this like unique scenario because the top is so decentralized that like you need that like kind of bottom up approach. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. That's honestly what it is. The uh, the other thing that is sort of concerning, and I think I talked about this very briefly at the top of the show to move along, is um, baseball. So, Mike, again, I'm, I know Parker's kind of a follower. Do you you a baseball fan? Not like I I had MLB 2K8, and that's pretty much the. I, I respect I respect the hustle though, FIFA and MLB. Okay, I respect it. Just real quickly, I just wanted to bring up the fact that aside from a few players, like I know Bryce Harper had a really nice post. Derek Jeter's foundation had a really nice post. And I'm sure there's others. Tori Hunter shared a really incredible story about how he's experienced racism early in his career. You should definitely check that out. The MLB has been pretty silent on this. There haven't been many posts. There haven't been many conversations. The players and the owners are in a bitter dispute right now. But that shouldn't prevent them from speaking out against this. And I just wanted to quickly get, I, I know you guys don't necessarily follow baseball the most, but I wanted to get your thoughts on how the MLB has handled this so far. I feel like, have they made like the big, like generic blanket statement that like said, like, have they done that yet? I'll be honest with you. I haven't been following them in the offseason. I think they did. I want to say they put out like, um, what was it? Blackout Tuesday. I think a bunch of players did that as well. But yeah, I'm not even sure if they did a, like a generic statement. I like, I, Really don't think there's been much in the way of it. Uh, Parker, you want because from my perspective, I just see like you're trying to play like the fence in this scenario. I think with them go like if like I'm not too familiar with like this dispute going on, but I don't see this one having as big of an effect on them because like they're people who are like is they put out like most people are just looking for like the generic statement. So I don't know, like, how I honestly don't know how much this one's going to, like, play to, like, the detriment of them for, like, not like, being more active whenever they did do that. Like, it seems like that's what most people are looking for. So, like, maybe, Parker, you have something more. Yeah, let me, just before he jumps in, I just wanted to follow up with what you're saying. They did put out a blanket statement. They've actually been tweeting some things out from their account. They've been retweeting players, and they're actually... I know one big player in this is Sean Doolittle from the Nats. He's been tweeting a lot. And CC Sabathia and Ryan Rocco have had a bunch of um, minority players on talking about racism. So things in the past, it looks like past week have actually improved. But they were definitely late to the show. So Parker, I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, they issued a blanket statement four days ago. but Oh, it- they did. You're right. It's it's like we're often condolences to the families of George Floyd. Uh, game has zero tolerance for racism and racial injustice. Uh, blah blah blah. But they don't talk about condemning police violence or mentioning systemic oppression or anything. Their statement is really short on really anything meaningful. They say that they're going to address the issue and how it requires change, but they fail to say like what action they're going to be doing beyond. You know, the classic, we're going to engage their communities to invoke change. You think after like several days of having to prepare for the statement, they would come up with something. Yeah, they're just retweeting and that doesn't really, I mean, that's good on the social media account for MLB, good good for them, but. With baseball, it's like they've had, there's been like this history of 
players of color in a major league baseball. Jackie and, Robinson. Yeah. It's like you, you would think they would be a bit somewhat ahead of the curve. But then again, there was also this whole uh, – I'm going to replace one word here, but there, there was an entire, like, black baseball league up until, like, 1950 or whatever. Right. So, I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like, for a league that celebrates Jackie Robinson Day every year to honor, uh, you know, a black player who did so much for the game, it seems pretty toned after to have your last statement be four days ago. All right, so before I move us so okay, I'm going to move us along. The one thing I wanted to touch on, too, was somebody, I, can't, I think it was the athletic, actually ranked... Uh, the it might not have been the athletic. It was somebody ranked the PR statements from NHL teams, <laughs> and by good to bad. And for the most part, most teams got a passing grade. Like there were some that did really well. Like I think the um, like Burton Holby and the Capitals did really well. Jonathan Taves did well, but like the Blackhawks were okay. Yeah, Jonathan it Taves was, was a good one. It was, and like you know, players like Crosby and McDavid, pretty simple statements, but. Overall, they, they touched on George Floyd, they touched on police brutality, they touched on opening the conversation. Those are things you want to see. Even short statements. Listen, we get not all players are interested. Oh, wait, I, I, I think I found it. Is it from this website, Russian Machine Never Breaks? Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I know, I, I just wanted to say the one team who got an F grade was the New York Islanders because not only did they not mention George Floyd by name, I'm pretty sure, or the police brutality, they thanked the police for their hard work. <laughs> uh, to, what? Let's see here. To the brave officers who go to work every day, seeing the human being not the color of one's skin, we thank you for protecting us, bro. <laughs> it's like trying to play both sides is not to piss any everyone off, but it's no more. It's not more. It's more about like trying to be like it's that it's trying to be like that friend in the middle that doesn't want to take a side in an argument more than like caring mm-hmm. about the issue. It's more it, that sounds like more. This is for the Islanders to be like all PR statements to some part are for the interests of the organization. But this sound like that to me sounds like this is for, uh, Hey, Islanders good. Not, Hey, there's a problem with something going on. Yeah. It's such a, it's the PR statement of all PR statements. It's we don't want to pick a side literally like, and the Islanders. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a rant. I'm going to give them even worse than an F because they are a team that has had issues with perceived racism, because I look at what they did with Josh Hosang. He, of, of course, nobody here is saying that Josh Hosang is a, is a stud player. He has a talent, but he was never projected to be a top player, and maybe there were some outlying issues with that too. But overall, he's proven so far that he's not a star player. However, from the minute he arrived at the Islanders camp, it was character issues. He's not the right fit. His personality doesn't mesh with that organization. Why do we think all those things are being said about him? Is it because he's that type of player, or is it because he, uh, it, it, because he's a minority? Is it because that it's a white guy's sport to this point that they don't want to change? Like the, the dude overslept his alarm clock one time and he got banished to the minors for his career. <laughs> That's not right. You know who else we heard that about? Anthony Duclair. Yeah, Duke again. Oh, he he doesn't mesh well in the locker room. Really? Didn't he not just score like almost thirty goals for the Ottawa Senators? The yeah. worst team on planet Earth. He had like 40 points in 60 games. Yeah, I mean, it goes on and on. There, there are, you know, and there are obviously some players who don't get that treatment, thankfully. Like, Seth Jones has, for his part, always been, he's a great player, a great person. But I think it's because he's a very quiet player. Like, he literally does not rock the boat. And it's like we talked about the NFL. The second that any player 
of a color that isn't white shows any personality, they're labeled as character flaws or not the right fit or they, they're they're not a locker room guy. You yeah, know? like people it's, worship Russell Wilson because he never rocks the boat. Because he's quiet and it's I mean, PK Subban literally is the most like he's got a show called the Hat Trick Challenge, which is fantastic. I love PK Subban. He's electric, he brings personality to the game. He's a great person, but I mean he donates how many millions of dollars. And yet all I ever see is how people talk about oh how he's not he can't last more than two years in the locker room. I wonder why. I wonder why that's his label. You know? And it's like, don't forget uh, Vander Kane, all the things people said about him when he was in Winnipeg. Well, and Vander Kane, to his credit, did have an off-ice issue or two, which we will not get into. But for the most part, again, same thing. I mean, he literally got labeled a character issue before that came up. He got labeled as an attitude player before he even had an off-ice issue. So, it's color language, man. Yeah, it, it really is. Like, and, and it goes on and on. And it's like, the other thing is we talked about white quarterbacks. Who was the last non-white goalie you remember? Malcolm, I'm talking about a position. Besides Malcolm, Malcolm Subban? Who, Malcolm Subban, not, again, not an amazing player, but he is an NHL goalie. He's this fat show that he's an NHL-level goalie. And yet, he has bounced around from team to team for seemingly no reason. I mean, I remember when he was with Providence, he was a really good goalie. And it like he would be the heir apparent to Tuka Rask. And here he is in Chicago. Also, I'm going know. through this list, and the New York Rangers ever make a statement? Because I know the Knicks the, didn't. <laughs> so, I heard on Steve Dangle's podcast, he talked about this. The James Dolan group, I believe, is the one that owns the Rangers, the Knicks, and they didn't make a statement. More importantly, they're barely retweeting people. They're not doing anything. The Knicks were dead for like four days, their Twitter account. The Rangers, like, Keandre Miller put out a statement, and they don't even think they retweeted him. Meanwhile, they're promoting Tony D'Angelo's off-the-collar show. It's very, very bad. The Rangers are not in a good situation right now. Nor Uh, should they be. As companies in the business of sports and entertainment, we are not any more qualified than anyone else to offer our opinion on social matters. Oh, boy. Yikes. I take issue with these, like, walking-the-line sort of deals. Like, we uh, talked earlier about, like, how, like, saving face is better than, like, and, like, still making the case is better than, like, not doing anything at all. But, like, when you walk the line like this, it almost feel it leaves, like, a bad taste in your mouth. Like, whenever you hear, like, that doesn't sound like, what are you doing, like, what are you trying to accomplish whenever you're trying to, like, so hardcore, like, be on that balance beam and not fall on either side? What do you, what are you trying to accomplish with that? Like, just to put something out for the sake of putting something Yeah, basically, it seems. It's not the right way to do it. I mean... Putting out something like that, essentially, you are picking a side. Yeah, you're picking the wrong side. You're picking the institutional side. It's okay, the status quo is fine. There's nothing wrong. There's never anything that's been wrong. Everything's okay now. Nope. And for all the NHL has done to promote Willie O'Ree and to, you know, try to show that they are a diverse league. You know, I know Kevin Weeks has been featured a lot lately because, you know, he's like the last, that I can remember, the last prominent black goalie outside of Ray Emery. And he retired like six years ago, seven years ago. It's, they're doing a lot to feature voices, but I don't know if they're doing a lot to support the voices. So it'll be interesting to see, like we said, going back to the NFL, how much of this is ideology and how much is actually going to change. Yeah. 
I think we covered most of what we wanted to discuss. And it's I'm glad we did because it's important. Like I said I know a lot of shows are doing so. And if I may, I'm just going to toss out two recommendations too to anybody who's listening. Steve Dangle podcast. I say them a lot, but like they had a really they had two good shows past week where they talked about race and stuff and and discussing how it works in hockey and the other one was 31 thoughts probably doesn't need promotion from us but they talked to uh jerome mcginla and talked about how he's and i love jerome mcginla they talked about how he's you know what he faced growing up how he dealt with racism how he deals with it now really interesting shows but if there's something else and we want to wrap this yeah let's wrap it all right well we want to thank mike for joining us Love to have you back again soon. Yeah, it was nice talking to you. Glad to get your opinion on some things here. And yeah, we'll be back next week. But we're glad we could put out a show like this. And I hope you enjoyed it.